The first reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 2. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the, other, all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. The second reading is from Romans 13, uh, beginning at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the gov governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will be, bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? The one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Have you ever been to Canberra before? It's, it's kind of a strange place, Canberra. Uh, like they say, it really is a city built in the middle of a sheep paddock. Uh, rude people, especially in New South Wales, say they ruined a perfectly good sheep paddock. It's got lots of circles, lots of kind of 70 eras uh, buildings, lots of public servants, and for a few weeks of the year at least, lots of politicians. Now, I don't know if you know anyone who lives there, but imagine this scenario. 
Imagine if the federal government decided that one of the, the features, one of the distinctives that they want for Canberra is not merely all the circles and the kind of strange buildings and that culture that you get there where they feel they're a little bit special. Imagine if they decided that they also wanted for Canberra to be a completely secular place, a city without religion. Now, thankfully, that's not at all the case, not even close whatsoever. But just go with me for a second. Just imagine that they give all religious people six months to sell up and get out. And so people have to leave their houses, leave their gardens, their jobs, their businesses that they've built up. Kids have got to leave school and friends. Some people have got to leave behind family. And they all have to move away just because they're religious. How do you think you'd feel about our government after something like that? I reckon we'd be pretty disillusioned and, and, and pretty hostile and probably I imagine we'd feel pretty jaded not just towards our government but probably to the idea of government in general. So then imagine this. Imagine that after your government did this, someone wrote to you and said, you need to be subject to the governing authorities because God has put them there. Don't you reckon that would feel pretty jarring? pretty insensitive if someone did that and yet it's a little bit like what we see Paul do today in the letter to the Romans do you remember in AD 49 Claudius had expelled all Jews including Jewish Christians from Rome and Paul writes this letter to the Romans about eight years later and mostly he's writing to the people who weren't expelled mostly he's writing to the non-Jewish Christians the Gentiles but even still, what he's saying must have been incredibly challenging for them. And, and the reason I highlight this is because if Paul can say to them in their situation, in verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, then what's that say to us? There's just no way we can dodge this. This is, this is really important for us in our situation as well. What we're going to see today is that we too are to be subject to the authorities. And the first reason is because God has established authorities. It's God who's established them. Look at all of verse 1. Paul writes, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And then notice, just in case we've missed it, he says it again, the authorities that exist have been established by God. What do you think of our, our federal government? Now, if our minds are being renewed to see things God's way, then we'll think that it's a government. Our government is established by God. Whether it's America's government or China's government or Russia's government, there's lots of good and bad things that we could say about those governments. But one thing that we must say if our minds are being renewed by God is that they've been established by God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start to think about that, my mind automatically jumps to the extremes. You know, what about Kim Jong-un? What about Hitler? What about Nero? Would Paul still be writing these things if, if he wrote this letter a decade later at the end of Nero's reign, not at the beginning? Paul writes this in about... AD 58, 
But a few years later, in AD 64, the non-Christian Roman historian Tacitus, he writes about what Nero did and how Nero tortured and executed Christians in Rome. Is God telling us here in Romans that in all situations, no matter how corrupt or evil the government is, that Christians must simply mindlessly, passively obey our governments? Now, that's a really great question, a really good question. And we're going to come back to it just a little bit later on. But before we rush to the, the really hard examples like that, we need to make sure we don't miss the basic point that God is saying to us through Paul here. What we can't miss is that when we come across a governing authority, we're encountering something that God has established. God wants there to be governing authorities and he wants his people to be subject to them. And this is true of governments that claim to be Christian. It's true of governments that are secular or pagan. And it's even true of governments that have got clear and obvious flaws. In Daniel 7, a bit earlier than that bit that was read just before, God says to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is a king who destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed his temple and took his people into exile in Babylon. God said to him, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. And why God sometimes uses evil people and evil governments uh, in his plans is beyond us to completely figure out. But even though we, we don't fully understand how God works, what we can understand is that there's no authority except what God has established. And so our mindset, our way of relating to our governments is that our default must be that we need to be subject to them. Now, some of us aren't really shocked by that at all. You know, we're pretty easygoing. We're kind of like Labour, Liberal, Shooters Party. We don't really care who's in government. It doesn't really worry us that much. We're we're those kind of personalities. Whereas others of us are much more fiery. You know, we don't like to submit to anyone. And it makes us mad just thinking of those out-of-touch politicians interfering in our lives from on high in Canberra. But, you know, whether we're kind of passive or pretty aggressive and feisty, either way, this actually really should be a little bit of a shock to us. In view of God's mercy, who are you? Do you remember Romans 8 verse 9? You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Do you remember who you are from Romans 8.16? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you remember more recently, Romans 12, verse 2? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. So we're heirs, co-heirs with the King of Kings who will rule this city, this country and this universe with absolute undiluted perfect power we are those who who throw off the controlling oppressive corrupt pattern of this world we don't bend the knee and, and conform to it any longer and so how is it that paul can tell us that 
the way that we don't conform any longer is by subjecting ourselves to earthly authorities. The way we worship God is by honouring governments. Do you feel the, the tension, the paradox? It feels like a contradiction. But it's not if our minds are being renewed. It's not a paradox, a contradiction, if we see things God, God's way. Because we'll see that it's God who's authorised the authorities. Which means that being subject to them is actually all about being subject to him. And we see that this means that the opposite is true also. Look again at at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So let me ask you this again. What do you think of our government? Is your mindset or are your actions rebelling against it? Because if so, then your mindset or your actions are actually rebelling against God. Now at this point, it's all clear enough what's required of us. But there are a couple of big things, don't you reckon, that aren't clear? Like, it's not clear why God requires this of us. Why does he require it? And it's still not clear to me anyway what this looks like in really messy situations. So let's look at that that first thing that's not clear because Paul actually goes on to next to tell us why God requires this of us. And what we see is that God has established authorities to hold back wrong and to commend right. God's put authorities there to hold back wrong, to punish wrong, and to commend, to promote what's right. Have a look at at verse 4 again. He writes, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. What we're seeing here is that government is a gift. It's a common good that God gives to all people as as a way of ordering human relationships for the good of his world, which means government's in the same sort of category as marriage. Marriage is is another one of those God-given gifts, a common good or a common grace. Marriage is also a way of ordering human relationships between a man and a woman that leads to a family, and God has designed it and given it to us for the good of the world. And it's not good for this world when marriages are weakened on a society-wide level. And in the same way, it's not good for this world where government is weakened and where everyone does whatever's right in their own eyes. The reality is, just like marriage isn't perfect because of flawed people like us who tend to mess things up, So also government isn't perfect for the same reasons, because of flawed people. But the alternative is far, far worse. Anarchy. And so in general, things like marriage and and government are gifts from God that he gives for the good of his world. And just like we can all think of of marriages that, that were a nightmare, we can also all think of governments that were a nightmare. But that doesn't make marriage 
and governments in and of themselves bad things. Instead, all it does is show the tragic ability of humans to corrupt the good gifts that God gives us. And in fact, even in the very best government that you can imagine, even still there, human sin will always make a mess of it to some degree. In the Bible, we heard it before, read in um, Daniel 7, but often in the Bible, human governments are pictured as being like animals, like beasts. Some governments are more human than others. You might have noticed that as, as Daniel was read before. Some are more beastly than others. But in the Bible, there's only ever one government that's seen as truly human without flaws. And that's the one that, that Daniel sees in chapter 7. We didn't keep reading to there, but if, if we had it, we would have come across this, where we see that there's one led into the presence of God who is described as the Son of Man, one like a Son of Man who approaches the throne of the Ancient of Days. That The picture of this government that Daniel paints is exactly why Jesus' favorite way of talking about himself is as the Son of Man. That's how he describes himself. And he was showing that he intends to rule as the perfect human and divine king. But the reality is that all other governments will be beastly at times. Maybe it's in the way that they treat refugees. Maybe it's in the way they wage war. Or maybe in the way that they reward the rich. Maybe it's in the way they treat unborn babies. We really shouldn't be naive about this. Even the very best government cannot fully escape that at times it's going to rule in beastly ways. But even though that's true, even still, and and we shouldn't be naive about it, where does it take us? Do you remember, if you know the story of Daniel, where it took Daniel? He was neither naive nor was he cynical. He didn't compromise But neither did he withdraw or rebel or seek to bring down the beast. Instead, what did he do? He was subject to Nebuchadnezzar and then subject to Darius and he served them faithfully. But the whole time what we see is that he is really being subject to God. The point is God has established authorities to punish wrongdoing and to commend doing good. And in general terms, that's what even pretty ordinary governments do. Generally speaking, what do they do? Hold back murder. Hold back genocide. Hold back stealing. Hold back rape. Generally speaking, they promote peace and they promote prosperity. And it's the times where authority is not clear or authority is contested or being overthrown. They are usually the times when the most evil happens. Paul is saying that the vast majority of the time, governments are holding back wrong and commending what's right. And that's true whether they're democracies or dictatorships. And so whether they know it or not, Paul is saying, when they're doing that, they are God's servants. And seeing this God's way actually changes how we think about governments. I mean, we're not subject to governments passively, or just because it's easier that way, or blindly putting our faith in governments, we're subject to authorities willingly because of their God-given role 
And because it's a way that we can actually worship God. Okay, so it's clear what God wants from us. It's clear why he wants it from us. But what's still not clear for us, I imagine, is what this looks like in really messy situations. And the truth is that Paul doesn't go on to spell this out here in this passage. But if we step back from this passage, we've already been given a framework for us to say some things into messy situations. Because did you notice what the whole logic of this passage is? The whole logic is that there's a hierarchy in authority. And God is the number one authority. That is what's just basic to this passage. And so clearly being subject to authorities can never mean being disobedient to God. That would be to go against this passage. That would be to go against the whole nature of Scripture. Do you remember when Peter and John were brought before the rulers in Jerusalem and told to stop speaking about Jesus? This is what they replied. They said, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See that? They're going to do what's right in God's eyes and they're going to disobey the authorities. And yet, notice that they still remain subject to the authorities, to the rulers, because they subject themselves to the ruler's judgment, even though they disobey their command. So this this passage that we're looking at in Romans today is not at all telling us to obey authorities if it means disobeying God. The other thing that this passage in Romans does is it It shows that God establishes authority for the benefit of all people. And so where authorities are not at all interested in stopping wrongdoing, not at all interested in commending what's right, where a government does nothing for the good of its people and is is only interested in abusing and exploiting them, kind of like pirates have seized a ship, then this passage actually gives us the grounds to question the legitimacy of a government like that too. So this passage, it doesn't leave Christians naively having to obey evil regimes like Nazis. It doesn't leave us having to obey governments in absolutely everything. There are extremely rare situations where we should disobey. But the point is, and the really strong point here, is that our default should be obedience to authorities. And so this brings us to our last point. What does this look like for us here in Adelaide? And what we see is that being subject to authorities means giving taxes, revenue, respect and honour where it's owed. Submitting to authorities means taxes, revenue, respect, honour and anything else that's owed. Look at verse 6. From everything we've seen so far, Paul says to us, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who give their time, full time, to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. So the question for us today and, and ongoing is, what do we owe our authorities? And that varies a bit depending on what country you're in, doesn't it? But unless you're in Monaco or the UAE, 
which we're not, it means that we need to pay taxes, right? That's going to be one of the clear and obvious things that we've got to take away from this. And so the first question that we should be asking ourselves from this passage is, how are we going with that? How are you approaching paying taxes? Do you work hard to make sure that you pay everything that you owe? Everything that's obvious and everything that's kind of hidden or less obvious. Or are you doing the opposite, working hard to pay as little as possible? One reason to pay taxes is because it's wrong not to and and because there's the real danger of getting in trouble from the government. But we've got a far bigger reason to pay taxes. Conscience, Paul says. Conscience means seeing things God's way. It means aligning our minds and our hearts, desires and our actions with his way. And so this means we, we don't pay tax begrudgingly. Do you know how we pay tax? As an act of worship. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, who's kind of like worshipping God as they pay tax? But that's exactly what we're doing. We joyfully pay what we owe in taxes, knowing that this is actually how God restrains evil and commends good in our world. And so rather than hoping I've paid as little tax as possible, I hope that I've paid at least what I owe. So this July time, don't pay pay tax with resentment. Don't try to get out of what you owe with shady techniques. Pay your tax, all of it, and worship as you do it. Now, there's other ways that this actually has real implications for our lives. You know, as Christians, we don't take cash in hand. We just don't do that. We don't take cash in hand and dodge tax. Or when we buy a car, you know, and you have to write the value on the registration slip, we don't let the person write less than what we just paid for it. That would be like ripping God off. If you're a student and you're benefiting from getting study payments from the government, you know, that's an amazing benefit, an example of the government commending a good thing that our government does not owe you. It's the other way around. You're not owed that money. Instead, you owe the government. And what you owe them is, first of all, honesty to declare your income, if you have that. But second, you you really owe them a work ethic to work hard in your study that they're funding you to do so that in the future you can serve your community. Is that how you think of your studies? Is that how you approach your government? And there are all sorts of things that we owe our government. Like, obviously, we owe it to our government to obey the road rules. It means we don't get to decide that 110 means 130 or that 50 really means 60 or that 60 means 70 until you approach the speed cameras where it means 59 for 30 seconds and then 70 again. That, that's, not, that's not okay for us. You know, I've, I've had two speeding tickets in my life. I feel like I need to come clean. One was on the way to church. The other one was on the way home from church. And it shows you something, doesn't it? Not that it's risky going to church. It shows you that it's it's just really hard to do what we know we should do. At least I find it really hard to do what I know I should do. But the truth is, and, and the amazing and beautiful truth is, we can worship God even in the way we drive our car and 
we can dishonour God in the way we drive our cars too. Now, there's so much that we could say about all of this uh, and we just don't have time. But I want to look at a couple of difficult scenarios just to kind of see how this works out. So what if our government tells us you can't say God created marriage to be lifelong between one man and one woman? What if the government tells us we're not allowed to say things like that? Or the government says you're not allowed to say homosexuality is a sin. You're not allowed to say sex before marriage is a sin. You're not allowed to say that God says gender and biological sex shouldn't be separated. Now, we're actually getting close to governments punishing people or organisations who do say these things. But we know these aren't our ideas. They come from what Jesus says. We know they come from what God says is actually truly good for his world And so the right thing for us would not be to obey the authorities at that point, but to obey God and just to keep on doing what we've always done. And even if the government did start punishing us for doing right, you know we'd still be called to be subject to our government in that situation? It wouldn't be okay for us to stop paying taxes or to disrespect our government or to try and overthrow them. It would be okay for us to try and resist in legal ways and other legitimate ways. But in the end, we'd need to trust ourselves to God and say to our government, you be the judge. Should we obey you or obey God? And that would mean accepting what happens, even if it's not fair and not right. You know, when Paul was imprisoned and brought before the authorities for speaking about Jesus, it really wasn't fair But he saw it as an opportunity not so much to argue for his religious rights and religious freedom. He saw it as an opportunity to speak about Jesus and the need for all people to get the opportunity to hear about him. Paul obeyed God, disobeyed authorities when he had to, and yet at no point did he stop being subject to them. So I want to finish by talking about something that's that's on the, the mind of some of us another difficult scenario. What about COVID restrictions? And also, what about COVID vaccines? What does this passage have to say about all of that? Well, we're going to break it up, but the first thing to say is that it's pretty clear that when I choose to rebel against the government's requirements by not QR coding in or not wearing a mask where I should, I really should be clear who I'm rebelling against. I'm rebelling against God. There's just no way around that. I've heard people say, but, but it's my body and, and the government is wrong to tell me that I must wear a mask on my own body. I've never come across anything that would justify that position in the scriptures before. The government tells us all sorts of things about our bodies all the time. Like after church today, none of us are free to walk through TTP nude. And personally, I feel like that is actually a good thing. It's your body, but the government will still tell you, you need to wear clothes in public. Most of us have never had an issue with that before or thought that the government's lost its way over that. So why would we now? And besides that, even if things like masks were the government crossing some kind of line, 
Where does it say in this passage or anywhere in scripture that I have to agree with what the government is doing before I obey? It doesn't say that I have to be happy with the wars that the Romans will fund before I agree to give them my taxes. It doesn't say that. Nothing like that. The grounds to disobey my government, that they don't come from what I think is right and wrong. The grounds to disobey only come from what God thinks is right or wrong for me to do. And so if we disobey, and we should at times, it's only at those extremely rare points where our obedience would clearly mean outright disobedience of God. You know, the early Christians who disobeyed the government, they did so when they were told, you cannot speak about Jesus. Or they disobeyed the government where they said, you must sacrifice to Nero as a god. They were the kind of things that led them to disobey. Not things like wearing a mask. We need to be really careful not to claim that God commands something if he doesn't. Okay, so that's mask wearing. It's, it's kind of an easier one. And from what I've seen overwhelmingly, Christians, even though they might not like it, actually do a fairly good job of, of complying. I mean, look at us here. We, we, we're doing a great job of that. It's, it's one, let's move to a more difficult topic. Should I be subject to the government and get a vaccine? Well, at this point, we need to be clear. There is no vaccine mandate from the government that says we must be vaccinated. And so it would be wrong to say that Christians must be subject to the government and be vaccinated. Now, we know the government has made it costly for people to refuse to get a vaccine in certain jobs. And and whether that's right or wrong for them to do is, is a very debatable matter. And we've got different opinions on that. And Mark, in a couple of weeks, is is, um, going to be taking us through Romans 14, which tells us what we should do as Christians when we've got different views on things and how we should handle that. I know I keep flick-passing all the difficult things to Mark, but that's the great thing about having an associate minister. But I'll tell you what, what we shouldn't do, though. What we shouldn't do is we shouldn't let this become a Christian issue or a Christian cause because it's not. So it would not be right to say Christians must be vaccinated. That would not be right. Now, if our government really did mandate vaccines for everyone, that might be a different story. That certainly would make things more complicated. But let's just stick with our situation before we get distracted by theoretical scenarios. Because in our context, it would be wrong to turn this into a Christian issue and say that Christians owed more than what our government is actually requiring of us. But on the other hand, it would also be wrong to turn this into some kind of Christian cause and say Christians must stand against vaccine mandates. Where would I get that idea from, from the Bible? Now, this isn't to say that Christians can't protest personally or write to politicians or complain to politicians or march or, or do all sorts of respectful action. You know, the, the beauty of our particular government is that we can do all of that and it, it's not at all rebellion. So long as we do it with a heart of submission, it's completely fine. But what none of us should do is say we should all be protesting And we should all be taking action because this is a Christian cause. 
Because it's not. And if you're saying it's a Christian cause, then you, you should be clear on what you're saying. You're saying that those who aren't protesting against vaccine mandates are disobeying Jesus. Now let me just be uncomfortable for a few more seconds. These last 12 months particularly, I've sometimes seen Christians disobeying our governments. You know, I've sometimes heard Christians disrespecting our government, sometimes online, more often than not, sometimes in person, face to face. And you know what? As I've reflected on it, I've done it a few times myself, I reckon. And afterwards, I realize it's not right. It's not being a living sacrifice. It's not proper worship. It's not the way that God wants us to go. We're called to a far more wonderful way, a more hardcore way. And in many ways, Christians have been living out this way beautifully for a long, long time. Christians choosing not to speed, not to steal, not to download things illegally. Christians paying their taxes and and not dodging the system. Christians not dabbling with drugs. Christians trying to work with governments for the good of, of, of society. But lately, I wonder if we're going a bit weak on this. It's almost at times like there's a a feeling of entitlement amongst us. And make no mistake, we are entitled. We are heirs of the kingdom. Everything that Christ has is ours. But never forget this. We have this entitlement not because we deserve it, entirely because of God's mercy. And our entitlement is is not in the kingdoms of this world. Our inheritance is not in our houses or our jobs or our freedoms to enjoy now. We're not sons and daughters of this world. We're not sons and daughters of Scott Morrison or Albanese or Xi Jinping. We're sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters of Jesus, the King who will rule with all power and all glory forever in his eternal kingdom. And so we submit to authorities for now because that's just one way right now that we can worship our God. Let me pray for us. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves even. And you know that the earthly nature of every human heart is rebellion. Father, you love us nonetheless. You sought us out. You drew us back to you. You won our hearts over out of love. You overcame our rebellion by Jesus dying in our place, by him making us your children. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would freely, joyfully submit before you that we would be living sacrifices, giving up rebellion and living as your children. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see that this means that we should be subject to authorities now, authorities that we see through often, see the flaws of, Lord, sometimes suffer at the hands of, and yet out of worship for you, in love for Christ our King who submitted himself to the authorities to death on that cross. Lord, help us to walk this difficult road, liberated and joyful as we submit to you, knowing that for all eternity you will rule this universe 
where wrong will be done away with for good. And we will be co-heirs with Jesus, our King. And it's his name, in his name we pray, and asking for his power by his spirit at work in our lives that you would bring this about. Amen.